Hello and welcome to the Speaking Out podcast from the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. Our goal is to highlight our programs and the amazing work that they're doing around the state, provide discussion around the topics of domestic violence, and create an environment of education and empowerment for anyone that may be experiencing domestic violence. October is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And this month, we're highlighting our staff members here at the New Mexico Coalition Against Domestic Violence. This episode features Teresa Armendariz, our Assistant Director. Well, thank you so much for talking to me today, Teresa. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and the work that you do here at NMCADV? Yeah, my name is Teresa Armendariz. I've been with the Coalition now for five years. I started in 2017. My current role at the coalition is the assistant director. And in this role, I help support staff in the great work they're doing with our member programs by helping them make sure they have the resources necessary to meet the goals they have. And I also provide leadership to our technical assistance team to pull together ideas and ways to make sure that DV providers get relevant and useful information from their trainings. I guess I'm, I'm curious, what other roles have you had with the coalition prior to this one? So when I started with the coalition, I was doing primarily administrative work, helping to obtain grants, manage the grants, kind of do a little bit of operations management. And then I moved from that role into a purely technical assistance role where I was supporting executive directors of our member programs all around the state. And my background is human resources. So the primary type of technical assistance I was providing was in writing policies, how to manage human resource issues, that kind of thing. Well, that would be a great opportunity to tell us about where you started your career and what made you get into this line of work. So for me, this line of work was purely accidental. I got my degree in human resources, which is completely unrelated to domestic violence and Never thought of myself as doing anything with nonprofit. I don't even think I actually understood what nonprofit work was. So I was just young in my 20s looking for my first HR job. And La Casa, the domestic violence service provider in Las Cruces, New Mexico, was hiring an HR manager. So I applied and that was the beginning of history. That was 20 years ago now, actually, in 2002. From that role, just the way nonprofits work, you never just have one role. So I was an HR manager for probably six months and then just started picking up a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until eventually I was the executive director of that agency. Well, that is so amazing that you just kind of like stumbled into this work. What do you think is one of the most important aspects of your job currently? In my job currently, I think one of the most important things is helping current executive directors navigate their work. The requirements for funding streams are becoming so complicated in nonprofit work that it's difficult for executive directors to manage in the traditional nonprofit way. Kind of like what I said when I started 20 years ago, I was doing a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And it's getting to the point now where our executive directors can't do that because navigating funding streams and 
legal requirements and insurance requirements and all that is really a a full-time job in itself. So one of my roles is to really just help navigate those changes, both statewide and to help individual agencies adjust to how they're going to navigate them. If they need to change their structure in order to accommodate these kinds of changes, what does that look like? Those are really big things for leadership to consider in our nonprofits. What is something that you're really proud of or excited about right now that is happening at the coalition? So the coalition is doing so many exciting things. I actually had a really hard time thinking of how I would answer this question. But the one thing that jumped out to me the most is a project that we're just getting started this year, looking at a systems response to domestic violence. This is being headed by one of our staff members, David Garvin. And we'll be working in a multi-year partnership with all the systems that support victims of domestic violence in communities around the state. And I just, I truly believe in the work I did at La Casa, I worked a lot with my community partners. And it was really clear that everybody who does this work has the same goal in mind. We want survivors of domestic violence to be safe. But the way we navigate it and the way we get to that end goal can be very different and can actually create more barriers for people as they're trying to navigate it. So this project is supposed to help recognize where those barriers are out there for survivors and how we as systems response people can start to break down those instead of expecting the survivors to break them down or navigate them or get around them or figure them out. I've seen with some of the people that I worked with, some of the survivors that were trying to navigate the system over the years that I've been in the work, I've seen things that just blew my mind. And it just makes me wonder how on earth can anybody get through all of this? And even us as domestic violence providers, we didn't really totally understand when we're telling somebody, you need to go to the DA's office. What does that mean to them? What happens when they get there? We didn't really understand all of that. Or contact the police department or, you know, file this report or file that report. We don't always understand everything and what kind of barriers are going to come up. And I remember one of our, one of the people that I worked with, she was really struggling. Her partner was going to go to jail if she pressed charges and her kids, he watched her kids while she worked during the day. So if he went to jail, she wasn't going to have anybody to watch her kids. So she was going to have to get daycare, which costs money. And it's just this, you know, cycle of additional barriers, everything she had to decide. And she was getting phone calls from the defense attorney that was defending her partner saying, it's up to you. If you, if you want to press charges, you can, but he's going to go to jail. He's going to lose his job. He's going to this, that, and the other. Same thing with the DA's office calling her and saying, we'll press charges, but only if you choose to. And just the weight of her having to experience everything she was already experiencing, plus having to decide what his situation was going to be was just mind-blowing. What part of your work are you most passionate about that you're doing now? It probably links just to what we were talking about. The people that do this kind of work are so passionate about this kind of work. I mean, There's advocates around who've been doing it since it was a brand new field, and they've seen such major changes take place, and they're 
you know, rolling with it and they're parts of these changes. They've been instrumental in making some really great changes. And then there's brand new advocates that just are so excited about helping people. And I mean, you just meet, and it's not even just in the domestic violence field. You find the same kind of passion in all these systems that I'm talking about. You know, we're talking about how sometimes the systems don't work, but that's not about the people. The people have that passion for making it work. It's just, how do you do it? Like, how do you fit these puzzle pieces together? And I think that's what I get the most excited about is really just seeing that it's just amazing. Once you get into this work, you never, you never leave it. I mean, you may leave the job, but you never leave the cause. It just becomes a part of you. So if you could make one change for survivors in New Mexico, what would it be? I would really love to see the conversations about domestic violence change to focus on offender accountability rather than victim accountability. And I know you don't really hear the term victim accountability. And I don't think people ever intentionally say that domestic violence is the victim's fault. But every time you hear someone say, why didn't they just leave? There's this assumption being made that the victim has the ability to stop the abuse but chooses to allow it to continue. And it just kind of like even what we were just talking about, there's so much put on the shoulders of the victim to make sure that the offender is held accountable, to make sure that the system's working, to make sure that they heal, to make sure that there's just so much responsibility on a victim to stop this cycle when they don't have that kind of control in the situation. So that's, that's something I would like to see change. That's a huge change. I mean, that's what we are all always continuously working for. So it's not an overnight kind of thing, but that's a big deal. We can do it. And there's a lot of little big things that people can do. You know, I had, I don't share my story a whole lot, but I had one of my really bad situations happened after I didn't do the dishes one night before bed. And when I went and talked to my pastor about it, and I was very emotional about it, my pastor's advice was, well, what if you had just done the dishes? And it's, that's not what it's about, you know, and that's people that are supposed to be supporting and validating and helping aren't getting that message. That left a huge message for me. Like, this is my fault. I could have just done I just need to do something different. I just need to do something better to stop what's happening. And then there it is. There's the victim accountability and not the offender accountability. Well, if you could make a change for programs in New Mexico, what would it be? Well, considering that my role is very administrative in nature, and I'm working with providers to navigate the administrative challenges of running a nonprofit. I would really love to see programs in New Mexico have access to more flexible funding streams to help support the cost of those kinds of things. And our agencies can't support the cost of an executive director, for instance. They can't support the cost of a bookkeeper or, you know, somebody to manage their their finances. Just that kind of stuff, if it's not direct service to victims, it's not really supported with grant funds very well. And if you don't have those resources, you can't provide this, the services to the victims. So it's 
kind of a hole in the loop. It's not going full circle. Would you see that change happening from like the grants being more flexible or is that a change that needs to happen somewhere else? Probably the best place would be the grants being more flexible or having more flexible sources. Like foundations are really great. Foundations are great resources where you can use, there's a lot of flexibility depending on who's giving out the money. But when you're getting government funding, which is the majority of what our agencies work on, there's not very much access to administrative pieces. Like you may get you know, 5% of your money can go towards this cost or, you know, and you still have to have all sorts of things that don't have direct relationship to providing services. Like you have to have insurance, you have to have electricity and water. And like I mentioned, your administrative staff and rent. And there's a whole bunch of things that don't directly provide the service, but you can't provide the service without. And those things really just come from a lot of fundraising. And that's a whole nother thing that our executive directors have to figure out. Now they have to do fundraising and, you know, manage that kind of stuff. And it's, it's a lot. And wouldn't it be also difficult, they would need to use those same funds to hire somebody that is focused on fundraising, because that isn't a direct service either, right? Correct. Yeah. So, I mean, if you don't get a lot of fundraising, you're basically paying somebody to raise funds to pay their salary and it's kind of useless. So yeah, you need somebody that's good and that's an expensive, that's an expensive person. So this is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And I really wanted to give our staff the opportunity to highlight an aspect of awareness that they really are passionate about. And so if you had to highlight just one aspect, what would it be and why? This goes back to my last comment about offender accountability. It's really such a big thing for me. I would like to see more people be aware of the pressure put on individuals experiencing abuse to make it stop without much support from outside sources. Um, If people knew how difficult it was not only to leave an abusive situation, but to recover from the damage that it causes in your life, survivors of domestic violence would be seen as heroes. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. And I wish, I wish more people could see that journey, like just see how hard it is and how many barriers are overcome. And regardless of the type of abuse, it's, it's so hard. I remember thinking when I was at La Casa, how scary it would be to even pick up the phone and say, I need shelter, and then potentially have the shelter say, we don't have space, or to pack up your small bag or suitcase and just go to the shelter for them to turn you away. Like I, And I know most of our shelters don't do that. They don't turn you away, but you don't know that until you try it. You don't know what the procedures are, what the practices are. You don't know for sure that you're going to go somewhere and you're going to get a safe place. So just that first step is terrifying. And it just amazes me the bravery that people have when they, when they experience that and they get through it. I heard a statement once that somebody has to get beat down before they get beat up. 
And that statement has always just stuck with me so much. And and it just is another picture of how hard it is because you're in that situation, you know, somebody has been beat down to the point where they have no confidence or very little confidence. And you still have, you have to overcome that before you can even take that first step to leave. And I mean, it's just amazing to me. And I just wish more people could see that. So here at NMCADV, we have three wellness hours per week. And so we are encouraged to take care of ourselves. So I'm really curious what you do to take care of yourself. I like to go on walks. I like, I'm like. i going to trigger my dog here saying that. <laughs> I do like to go on walks, but I have a hard time in Las Cruces in the summer. So I tend to I tend to not do that very well in the summer because it's just too hot and I can't, I can't stand it. So I do a lot of reading and I also like to, I like to cross stitch. So I'll, I'll just cross stitch while I'm watching a movie or something. And that put me in a different world for a little while. Yeah. For you all at home, you should see her cross stitching. It's amazing. (laughs) Like I was not expecting them to be like these full on, like, intricate and all of this stuff and I'm just like oh my gosh (laughs) so like how on average how much time does one of those take for you oh my gosh I'll work on one for two years but it's it'll be like I'll watch a couple of movies or something so maybe I'll do it for four hours and then I don't touch it for a long time so it's it's just one of those things I I do it while I watch TV and I have to be watching TV alone because I'll find that I don't pay attention to what I'm watching and I have to rewind it. And that's really annoying to anybody else. So it's just when I get my alone time and watch binge watch something, I'll be sewing at the same time. Well, thank you so much, Teresa, for taking the time to talk to me today and yeah, for having such insightful and wonderful things to say. And yeah, is there anything else you can think of that you'd like to say before we close out the the podcast today? No, I can't think of anything, but this is a great experience. I always enjoy a conversation with you though, Rochelle. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) well, thank you. We want to thank our programs that work tirelessly across the state to support those affected by domestic violence. Each and every staff member, advocate, therapist, and supporter is important. We appreciate you. If you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, there is help available. Please call the hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE or 1-800-799-7233 or visit their website on a safe device at www.thehotline.org. Love our conversations? Make sure to subscribe, rate, and share our podcast. You can submit questions and feedback to Rochelle at nmcadv.org. Thanks for listening in.